We're going to be in Titus this evening. I have been preaching somewhat through Titus every Wednesday evening. I've had the opportunity to stand behind the pulpit. Uh, and we're going to continue our look into Titus this evening. And we'll be looking at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Uh, if you will, turn there, and I'll give you just a brief summary of what's going on. As we get to this portion of Titus, Paul is bringing forth to Titus what it means to be a leader in the church. And what Paul is saying is that to be a leader in the church, that is a noble task. It's something that men are called to and that these people are called to fidelity to God, to God's word, and there to forsake false teaching. In fact, the church rises or falls on what is being presented by those who lead the church. Uh, there are many examples that I can think of throughout even the last few hundred years of churches and denominations that were once these great strong churches that stirred, stood on conservative theology that have now faltered. And it's not because the people who led these early on were weak men, but eventually these people crept into the church and they brought these false ideologies, these false teaching. They did not stand on the word of God. And because of that, now these denominations and churches are filled with liberal theology that there are many who don't even affirm that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, but he, that he was just simply a man. And I must say that what Paul is saying to Titus is something that we should take to heart today. It's not something we push aside and think, well, this was just a message to Titus in the first century of the church. No, this is also a message, I believe, for us today. It's good to be reminded and to be refreshed and to be pushed towards what God desires for his church. In fact, it reminds me of this story. There's a, a young child one time, and his father was fixing the vehicle one afternoon. Uh, this young child, about four or five years old, kept pleading with his mom, can I please go out and help my dad? Can I please go out and help my dad? And the mom kept saying, no, no. And as you, those of you who have children, you know that children are persistent. They'll keep asking well, finally, what seemed like years for the mother, the mother asked, why do you think you can go out and help your dad? And the young child replied, well, I know all the words that dad uses to fix the car. Now, we laugh at that, but this is something that is alarming for the church because just like that child sees what the father is doing, oftentimes people in the pews see how the pastor acts or how leaders in the church act and how they present God's words and they take that as what is Christianity. But we must be people who are focused on the word of God. We must be focused on the word of God and let the word of God tell us how we are to act. We must let the word of God tell us how we are to present his word. And though this passage is focused on those who lead in pastoral ministry, I think that the very truths here also affect how each and every one of us lead in our own respective ministries in our own lives, whether that's in, within family or within the confines of work or any other type of setting. What Paul is teaching here 
reflect to us as well. So read with me in Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of democracy or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Like I've stated, what Paul is saying is it is a noble task to lead in the church and that a pastor or a leader in the church must remain faithful to God. They must forsake false teaching and remain in the word. Paul sends Titus to Crete for that simple task. And this evening, I want us to look at the three areas of qualifications that Paul gives to the church leaders. The first area of qualification I think we can glean from this passage is that the qualified leader is verified by his action in the home. Church, the most important function or the most important institution that God has created is the home. It's the very first thing that God created was the home in terms of institutions. And here Paul is not ignoring that. In fact, this is the very first thing he goes to. He's saying that, we, that the qualified person who is qualified to lead the church is verified by how he acts within his own home. Notice with me in verse 6 how Paul lays this out. If anyone is above reproach, we can stop right there. This word, above reproach, if you notice, Paul uses it two times in the text. Right here in verse 6, above reproach, and in verse 7, must be above reproach. This above reproach means that there is no reason for a Christian leader to be accused. That if they are accused of something, they don't have to worry about anything coming to light, but they are perfectly satisfied and at peace with God. That nothing in their lives brings shame to the people of God or to the name of God himself. But Paul is using this within the confines of the home. And I think we ought to drill into that and think about that. That Paul is using this for the confines of the home. Church, there are many stories of how pastors and other church leaders have abused their families but when they came to church, everything seemed right. Everything seemed perfect. But when they get home, they beat their children. There are multiple stories. And Paul is saying that if you are to lead in the church, you are qualified by how you act in your home. And if you are to act in your home, you are to act in the same way as you do out in public. And as we'll see that as we go further. But Paul's main focus right now is looking at those who are leading and saying, Lead well in the home. Do not have anything in your life that will bring accusation against God and his church, but lead well in the home. 
there have been many people who have damaged the name of Christ based on how they acted within their own home. We see the husband of one wife, which is translated better as a one-woman man, that he's, he is confined to one person. He's not out fooling around with anybody else, but he's committed to the person whom he is married to. If previously the leader has, is not to have anything in his life to bring shame to the Christ, to the name of Christ, so much more so should be in, his er, uh, in the area of marriage in his life. Church, we ought to be thinking, if we are leading, we should be leading well, and we ought to be leading well within our own marriages. Next, we see in verse 6, and his children are believers. Now, one time I was in a discussion with some people, somebody posed a question. If a pastor's daughters got pregnant outside of marriage, should that pastor resign or be fired? I believe and still hold that no. Why? Because that pastor's sin is his own sin. He does not bear the guilt of his daughter's sin. To give us a better idea of what Paul is saying here, turn with me to 1 Timothy real fast. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we'll see how Paul brings this out for us to see and understand. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Or 3, 4, and 5, my bad. Paul writes to Timothy, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So in both instances, we've got to think contextually. We don't just look at Titus and just think Titus is the only book we can think contextually in when we're studying Titus, but we've got to take the whole Bible and understand the whole Bible when we read the Bible. So when Paul writes his children are believers, I think what Paul is meaning is exactly what he wrote to Timothy, that he's to manage his household. Do you guys remember what it says in Proverbs? Train up a child in the way that he'll go? That's precisely what a Christian leader is to do. Remember, church, that the, for a Christian leader to be qualified, he is to be qualified in the area of his home. How he leads in his home, as Paul stated in 1 Timothy, how can a man lead a church if he can't even lead his own home well? And Paul's bringing this out. And this was the mission of Titus. Remember in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete. Why? So that you can build elders, that you can build the leaders of the church that will stand on guard for the people of God. Obviously, elders will have unbelieving children. I don't think we can not see that in any other light, that there will be times when pastors will have children who do not come to faith in Christ. And that is a tragedy, but we do not hold that over the pastor's head. 
Rather, we pray for that child and we pray for the pastor. And again, this does not disqualify a man who is called by God to lead in the church. If a pastor does not have a believing child, that does not disqualify him from pastorship. I think it also brings about that as we looked in 1 Timothy, that these children should be well-mannered. They should act like Christians while they are in the home of the pastor. Why? Because the pastor is separating his family as well as he is separating the flock of God. However, Paul does not just end with his qualifications of a Christian leader with what's in the home, but he also goes further by saying that a qualified leader is verified by his actions in public. Notice with me in verse 7. For an overseer's God's steward must be above reproach. Again, we see that faithful word. He must be above reproach. He must not have anything in his life that brings shame to the name of Christ. How does this happen? How, how Paul, are we to have be qualified by our lives in public? Well, Paul doesn't say that he must just must be above reproach, but he tells us what being above reproach looks like. Notice with me, he must not be arrogant. There's no room for arrogance in a believer's life, especially if that believer is a leader in the church or a leader in any other setting. If you are a leader, there is no room for you to be arrogant. If you will, turn with me to Judges chapter 7 and verse 2. Judges chapter 7, Gideon is raising up an army to fight. And the Lord tells this to Gideon, listen. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. And get this, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand saved me. There is no room for arrogance in the church. Just as much as there is no room for arrogance for the people of God in the Old Testament, there is no room for arrogance within the church. Why? Because arrogance leads to a prideful life, and eventually that life leads to a direction of having no need for God. That is a disastrous place to be in, being in a position where we know God. We are in the family of God. We are in the kingdom of God, but yet, because of our own arrogance, we proclaim, I don't need direction from you anymore, God. I can handle it on my own. Again, church, arrogance has no room in the life of the church, especially of those who lead the church. Continuing, we see that not only is he not to be arrogant, but he must not be quick-tempered. Oftentimes, somebody who is arrogant, they're also quick-tempered. 
There's no room for that for those who lead the church. Somebody who leads the church must be self-temperate. He should not be quick to anger, but he should be slow to anger. Again, why do you think this is church? Do you think it is possibly because the God who saved the leader and who called the leader is slow to anger himself? I think that is the case. I think that's why God is saying that he must not be arrogant, but he also must not be quick to anger. You know, oftentimes we are quick to anger ourselves because we don't comprehend how somebody could be so slow moving in front of us. But God's word tells us, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Don't, don't let your wrath consume you. Be patient. Next we see that the Christian leader is not to be a drunkard. He is not to be violent or drunkard. The Christian leader is controlled by the triune God. He's not controlled by any other substance. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is democracy, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, church, the Christian leader above all people should be controlled by the Spirit, not by any other outside forces. Nothing can take more time from the leader than God himself. He should not be violent. There's no room for violence. And oftentimes that crick-tempered attitude and the drunkard spirit, that is what drives leaders to be violent. He must not be greedy. We can think of many examples because there's a plethora of these prosperity preachers today who, by all means, are most likely and I would say are disqualified from the ministry because they are greedy. They're only in it for themselves. I think of Ezekiel 34, which if you get time, I, I would highly suggest that you read it this evening. In Ezekiel 34, God is prophesying against the leaders of Israel. In that passage, he calls them shepherds. Uh, just like how in the New Testament, pastors can also be identified as shepherds because that's what pastor means. And in his condemnation of these shepherds of Israel, he's saying, you shepherds of Israel, you have not only ta not taken care of my people, my flock Israel, you abused them. Here, you're becoming fatter and fatter while my people are starving. But by the time we get to the end of Ezekiel 34, God tells Ezekiel, I'm going to be sending, I will become the shepherd of my people myself. The shepherds of Israel in the first part of Ezekiel 34 were greedy. They didn't desire to help the people, they only desired their own fleshly gains. 
We can also think of the prophets back in the Old Testament time who, when the other, the prophets who were right with God, who prophesied correctly what God was saying, that destruction is coming because you guys are rebellious and you guys are stiff-necked. But then you had these false prophets who came along. Oh, destruction is not going to happen. God loves you too much that there will be no pain. He, he does, he's not going to bring suffering. The, Jeremiah has no idea what he's talking about. But history tells us Jeremiah prophesied right and those other prophets did not. The Christian leader is also to be hospitable. Look in verse 8. But hospitable. In verse 7, we see all these characteristics that should not be in the life of a leader. And now in verse 8, we see what a leader looks like. He's to be hospitable. He's, he's to be somebody who welcomes. He's not to turn people away. He's to welcome them. them. He's to be a lover of good. He loves what is good because, again, the God who saved him is good. The God who called him to ministry is good. He loves what is good. He's to be self-controlled. Again, I think this goes hand in hand about not being a drunkard, but he or given to violence, but he is rather self-control in all manners. He don't let his anger last out. He don't let his impatience get the better of him, but he's self-controlled in all manners. And I think we can also see that he reflects God's nature. In verse 8. He is self-controlled and then he's upright, he's holy, and he's disciplined. You see, the Christian leader here reflects the very nature of God. He's leading the people of God and he is to be the one who brings them into a close relationship with God. And by doing this, he is to reflect the very nature of God. Now, this does not mean that he is holy as God is holy because nobody can attain that. But it means that he lives a lifestyle that reflects the very nature of God. Again, I think we can go back that a Christian leader is not above reproach. How can you have anything that can accuse you of wrongdoing if you are holy? There's no way. There is no way that you can be steered away from not being called a believer in Christ if your life is holy. But it does not end here. A Christian leader is not only verified by his actions in the home. He's also not only verified by how he deals within the public. He's also verified by his actions of faithfulness to God's word. Notice in verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Do you get that? It's not, he might hold to the word of God. You know, it's not, well, he can neglect the word of God. No, it's he must hold to the word of God. He must stand firm that the word of God is that very thing. That it is the word of God. 
He must hold that the Word of God is His only source of authority. He must hold that the Word of God is the model and practice of His life. Church, we have we just went through a few a month or and a half ago, very long dealing with the doctrine of Scripture in our Sunday evening Sunday school class. We spent a long time looking at what the Word of God is. And if you recall, I kept going back and Kenny kept going back that the Word of God is the only authority for the church. We can certainly look to men like Charles Stanley or other great men who faithfully preach the Word of God. But at the end of the day, we are not called Stanleyans. We are called Christians. We don't hold to... We don't grab our systematic theology book from Ryrie or whoever else we are affectionate towards and open that up and preach from the systematic theology of Charles Ryrie. No, we open up the Word of God and let the Word of God tell us how we are to function as believers. And church, I must say, this is where leaders are, are to stand. They're to stand that the Word of God is the Word of God. Uh, it reminds me, thinking of this and going over this, that a pastor is to hold to the Word of God, that leaders are to hold to the Word of God as their sole authority, and that there are many churches that don't hold to this. In fact, several months ago now, I remember watching this church service, and they were teaching on the sins and they got to gluttony, and the pastor was sitting on the edge of the stage, and he was making a mockery of the Word of God. The entire sermon was just people giving him and putting on him McDonald's and Reese cups and Pop-Tarts and all these other things, and he was teaching on gluttony. But he never opened up the Word of God. And in the background, I could hear the congregation laughing as, more things kept being piled next to him and on him. Church, the Word of God is our sole authority. The Word of God is what brings a breath of fresh air in our lives. I recall when we read in Timothy, when Paul is speaking of Timothy's mother and grandmother. He's praising God. Thank God you had a mother and grandmother who sat there and faithfully opened up the word of God with you. Paul did not say, thank God you had a grandmother and a mother who took you to the circus or who took you to any other sort of things but who faithfully opened up the word of God. Further, I think we can say in verse 9 that a pastor should not just have a head knowledge or a leader should not just have a head knowledge just like a believer should not just have a head knowledge but that when we read the Bible we don't necessarily just read it for intellectual gain but we read it to change our hearts. We read it to change our lives to focus more on God. Paul is saying... Titus, 
Do, when you teach these people, when you t- find these men and train them up to be elders in the church, teach them to look to the Word of God. Because later on, when we get further down in verses 10 and onward, we see in that these people, they, they went to useless genealogies and useless conversation and meaningless things, but they neglected the Word of God. Titus was tasked with training these men to turn their focus from that and turn it to the Word of God. In fact, in Bible college, I have a professor who told me that when he went to seminary, that when he was taking a preaching class, the professor told him, when you preach, you should always have your finger on the Word. If you're moving this hand, have your right hand on the Word. And if you go to move your right hand, you move your left hand and you... Keep the finger on the word. Why? He said, so that way it shows to the people that your main focus is the word of God. That your main driving force is the word of God. Church, in verse 9, I think we can break it down in two easy ways. That a qualified leader is devoted to the word of God. And that he uses it to instruct in sound doctrine. And second, I think we can see that in verse 9, that a qualified leader is devoted to the Word of God and can defend the Word of God and promote sound doctrine. The task of a Christian leader is noble. The Christian leader is called to fidelity to God alone. He's called to forsake false teaching. And most of all, he's called to remain faithful to the Word of God. Church, we are, if we are to find qualified leaders, if we are to see ourselves as qualified leaders in the church or in our lives or in business, here are the three areas that qualify us for leadership. We are qualified in our leadership in our own homes. We're qualified by our actions in the public, and we are qualified by our faithfulness to God's word. A young preacher one time approached um, a well-known expositor of God's word. And he asked this man, how, could, how can I one day be well-known? How can I one day be influential in my own sphere? And this well-known pastor responded, Don't waste your time waiting and longing for large opportunities which may never come but faithfully handle the little things that are always claiming your attention. Church today, are you being faithful in the task that God has called you to? Are you faithfully leading wherever you are at in your lives? whether it be here in the church or in your own home or in the workforce or, like I said, in any area of your lives? Can we say that we are building God's kingdom or are we building our own little kingdoms? Are we trying to be like that young preacher who said, how can I build up my own influence? How can I be well-known and well-liked? Or are we spending our time faithfully serving in the little things that God has called us.
and not longing and waiting for these large opportunities? Are you like John the Baptist saying, I must decrease so God can increase? Or are you decreasing Christ in your life so that you can increase your own ability, your own wealth? Remember, church, that one of the qualities of a good and faithful leader is that he is not arrogant because arrogance brings about pride and pride is destructive. Church, I would challenge us today that we be found faithful in the ministries in, in whatever roles God has called us to today. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for all the grace and mercy that you set upon us. Father, we thank you for this text that you have given us. And Father, may we be found faithful in your eyes, not faithful in the eyes of those who look on us, but faithful in your eyes alone and whatever you have called us to. And Father, may whenever we are looking for leaders to lead in the church that we turn to your word. We don't look for those who are, have the biggest following, but we look to your word and verify them by how you verify them. Father, I ask that you'll be with us next week as we will be in VBS. I ask that if there will be anybody who comes to our VBS, that they come to know you as Savior if they do not. I ask that you'll be with those who lead and will be serving in our VBS program, that they will be faithful to you and that they will be uh, have a servant heart. They don't be arrogant. They don't be prideful. Father, in all things, we glorify and we thank you for the death of your son who redeemed us and who it is his life that we live as a, an example. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that I pray. Amen.